Good evening, everybody. We are here for Saturday of the first month, or uh, ninth month, and uh, mm-hmm. I think it's session 30. One, 31. 31. Session 31. And well, mine shows as 30. Okay, session 31. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have questions, lots of questions, but I think we'll have time only for three or four because of the nature of this week's questions. So these are very serious life issues. So I think we will be able to handle a few, but we'll see how time goes. And uh, we'll pray that God gives us the wisdom, the discernment, that even though you have our answers, like uh, like if you go to these gyms and all these places, you will all, they will always say, do this, but check with your doctor before you get into any rigorous so always check with your own word ask the spirit of god don't base everything on anything that you hear ultimately you are responsible for your own soul we are there only to guide you because in the new covenant we have a god who promises to speak to each one individually guide each one individually but we are there as teachers to help you and by the way thank everybody who wished us for Teacher's Day, <laughs> and we are teachers in the... I didn't even know that it was Teacher's Day until those texts started, mails started coming. So thank you, everybody, and we pray the gift of teaching will rest upon us even now. Pastor Vijay, would you lead us in prayer, and then we'll tackle the questions. Father, we just want to thank you once again for this time. Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. Thank you, Lord, that, Lord, that you've been so faithful all these days, Lord, the third, the first Saturday of the ninth month, and even as we're here in this first question-answer session of this month, I pray, Lord, that you would grant us all the spirit of wisdom and revelation, that your anointing would rest over all of us. I pray, Father, that you would guide us, speak to our hearts, Lord, and make the answers relevant to every brother and every sister who's seeking you, O oh Lord. Thank you, Lord. We come at this entire time into your hands, O oh Lord. Let your word be exalted and let your name be glorified through everything that we do. For in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. 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 Yes, Pastor Richard. So the f- uh, first question uh, is, uh, what do you mean when you say all the scriptures of the Old Testament point to the sacrifice of Jesus at Calvary? Can you explain it? All the sacrifices. Uh, uh, the book of, can we go to, I think it's Hebrews, right? Shadows and uh, yeah. Hebrews chapter 8. Hebrew. If you want to do a parallel study of the Old Testament sacrifices and the New Covenant, you have to study the book of Hebrews. The book, because the book of Hebrews is the most uh, most uh, important book in the New Covenant when it teaches. It's which was basically written to the Hebrew believers. So if you look at chapter eight uh, and verse five, you will see they serve as a sanctuary that is a copy and a shadow of what is in heaven. Okay, these are all shadows. Okay, there are many other verses in the book of. Uh, book of, uh, yeah, chapter 10 also, Hebrews chapter 10, yeah, verse 1, got it, chapter 10, verse 1, yeah, the law having a shadow of the good things to come 
and not the very image of things can never with these same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year make those who approach perfect. And verse 2, okay, for then they would not have ceased to be offered for the worshippers once purified would not have no more consciousness of sin. So therefore it will say that if you read that you will see Jesus is the substance, the shadow is the old covenant sacrifices. Now, if you look at the old covenant sacrifices, there were primarily five sacrifices as far as I understand. One is burnt offering. The other is the meal offering. These are all in the book of Leviticus from chapter 1 onwards. Then you have the peace offering. You have the sin offering. And you had the trespass offering. And if you look at it, the burnt offering, it has to be burnt completely. Okay, so Jesus in the new covenant is the burnt offering. He offered him completely on the cross to the Father as, as the burnt offering. Okay, then when he talks about the meal offering, there were five kinds in that meal offering and that you will see Jesus is the meal offering. That's why he said, I am the bread of life unless you eat of my flesh. Okay, he is the meal offering. Then when you look into Leviticus 3, which is the peace offering, you will see Jesus is the peace offering which brings peace with God and peace with man, that reconciliation. When you look at the sin offering we saw on uh, uh, Thursday, he was the sin offering. He was offered on on the cross as the sin offering. And we will see he is also the trespass offering, which is there. You will have that guilt, that trespass, a scapegoat. You will see he is the trespass offering. Because if you look at all these things in in the Old Covenant, and the conditions, it is met in history only in one person. Mm. It is met only in Jesus Christ. So the law was a shadow. Jesus is the substance. And then again, if you look at the feast of the, of the Jews, which is given as a picture, they were primarily given seven, uh, feasts in the Old Testament. And then they added a few later. But the first feast actually is the Passover, and that's where they begin. That is the first month for them, the day they left uh, Egypt. They left Egypt, okay? So you will see Jesus is the Passover lamb. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's their important feast, mm-hmm. okay? They had it, that's on the 14th day of Nisan. That's the first uh, month for them. So on the 14th day, you have the feast uh, uh, the, the Passover. So Jesus is the Passover. And that's how John points it on. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the, Sin of the sins of the world. And then immediately after Passover is the feast of the unleavened bread. Mm-hmm. That's when they went around and they t- took leaven out and they ate unleavened bread. And it, you will see only when we have accepted the Jesus as the Passover lamb, as God's sacrifice, then only we can actually battle sin mm. and overcome sin. Otherwise, it is not possible. So you will see immediately after Passover, the feast of the unleavened uh, bread begins. Okay, So he is the unleavened bread. It is the life of Jesus that destroys sin in us. And on the third day, it is like it is like eight days actually, on the third day, that is the 16th of Nisan, is the feast of the First fruits. Mm. And if you turn with me to First Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 20, Paul will put a cross. Now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So he is the first fruit. He rose again on the third day. So he became the first fruit. See, Israel for hundreds, thousands of years was 
was practicing these feasts and these rituals without realizing it was pointing to Christ. Mm. When Christ came, the shadow was fulfilled. It was fulfilled. And after that, it has no meaning. Because once it is fulfilled, those things, all these things, that's why in Romans, Paul will say, the law and the prophets were pointing towards Christ. Or in the book of Galatians, the purpose of the law was like a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. bring us to Christ. And after that, if you look at it, exactly 50 days later, okay, 50 days later, after Passover, 50 days later, is the Feast of Pentecost. The Pentecost, Feast of Pentecost is basically the harvest festival. And you will see exactly on the Feast of Pentecost is when the church is born. 3,000 are born again. Mm-hmm. Okay, the church begins. The first harvest begins. So you will see everything fits in with the Jewish calendar. The the fulfillment of the Jewish calendar is found in the new covenant. So Jesus is the Passover lamb. He is the bread, unleavened bread, which he says you have to partake of me. His life, okay, which is, that's the only life when we walk by faith. It is his life. That's the only life God accepts. It's a life without living. It's a life without sin. Because when you walk by, if you turn with me to Romans twelve twenty eight. Right? Whatever is not of faith is sin. Uh, 1421. 1423. 1423. 1423. Yeah. Whatever is not from faith is sin. Or, if you rewrite the sentence, whatever is of faith is not sin. Mm. Okay? So, why does God ask us to walk by faith unto faith? Because faith comes from hearing, we are living his life and his life is without sin. Mm. Okay, that's how we fulfill the feast of the unleavened bread. Okay, but first you cannot enter into that life until you accept his uh, offering on the cross. Okay, so only those who accept the Passover lamb is able to enter into day two. And then day, day three, uh, he's a picture of the first fruit. Okay, and the day four, the fourth one is the feast of harvest. That is the Pentecost. And then later comes the Feast of Trumpets. Okay? And that's what we are waiting for. The Feast of Trumpets is actually pointing towards when the trumpet will be blown. Like for us, we are not looking at the judgment trumpets. We are looking at the rapture trumpet. Okay? Then you have what you call the Day of Atonement. Okay? They have the Day of Atonement. Okay? And you will see he is the atonement. Mm -hmm. If you turn with me to 1 John 2 and verse 2. Okay, 1 John 2 and verse 2. He himself is the propitiation for our sins and not only ours only, but also for the whole world. On the day of atonement, it was offered. Okay, he is our atonement for the whole world. He has been offered. So the day of atonement also points to Jesus' work. And then you have the Feast of Tabernacles. That is the final one, the Feast of Tabernacles. It was a reminder of the fact that Israel, when they came out of Egypt, wandered for 40 years in the desert and they lived in booths. So the Jews actually make those kind of temporary dwellings. Okay, now it's like very hyphenda dwellings and all they make as time goes on. But they live remembering that this is how they wandered. But we need to realize when did God also tabernacled with them in the wilderness. In the new covenant, we are a picture of Israel in the wilderness. The world for us is the wilderness. So we are called to be pilgrims and aliens. And Christ himself came and tabernacled with us and now in us. 
First, when he comes in the physical body, the actual word that is used is tabernacle. He became flesh and tabernacled among us. And the second promise in the new covenant is Matthew 1 and verse 23. 21 is the first promise that you shall call him Yeshua, that he shall save his people from their sins. Okay, And the second promise in the new covenant, his name shall be Emmanuel, which is translated God, God with, with us. us. The church will go through 2,000 years of in the earth, in the wilderness. But God will be with us. Amen. He will tabernacle with us. So everything is fulfilled in Christ Jesus. So the old, old covenant law and practices was a shadow. And it is fulfilled in the, in the, in Jesus Christ. So that was the letter. We live out the, out the spirit. We don't celebrate those things. We don't observe any of those things because they all have been fulfilled in Christ. So I think that answers that question, Pastor Vijay, the Old Testament expert. Do you want to add something? No, <laughs> we are not law and grace, but he is the expert in the law. I am the, not the expert. I'm a student of grace. Yes, Pastor Vijay. So we'll look at question number five. Um, very pertinent question. Okay, question number five. five. It yes. says, "How do we know we are demonized? How do we know if we are oppressed or depressed?" The psychiatrist will have many words and many meds, but what do you say about this? Yeah, go to six also. They're all connected. What about PMS and MS? Is this true? This is what comes concerned with women. Yeah. Our great grandmothers did not go through this. How do we know is, is this, uh, if this is true? Never heard of all this in the days of Adam and Eve and Rachel and Sarah. We never heard because they never talked about it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now, we are talking about uh, depression. Okay, we are talking about depression. Uh, first, we need to realize, yes, uh, people behind the camera don't move, then we will be distracted, okay, unless it's a serious issue, <laughs> because we have only two, three people in the audience. Uh, before the fall, everything started after the fall. Okay, Genesis chapter 3, everything begins. Once man fell, comes sin, sickness and death. Mm. Okay, there is sickness of the body, there is sickness of the mind. Okay, there is. And you will see the fall begins with temptation from the devil. They listen to his voice and the fall begins. And from that onwards, you will see man listening to the voice of the enemy. Demonic oppression also begins. Okay, so there is demonic oppression and there is depression. Now, if you, if you turn with me to Genesis chapter 3, we'll go to Genesis chapter 3 because everything is there in Genesis chapter 3 if you look at the root of it. Okay, and if you come to verse uh, 16 and the first part, 3.16, the first part. To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. So the first thing is, okay, so it is, if you look at it, if you look at it, this is the order in which God goes, okay. Satan tempts woman. Woman falls for the temptation and then man follows the woman. So when the judgment goes also, the first judgment is on man, sorry, on Satan. The second judgment is upon the woman and the third judgment is upon man. Okay, so you have to look at the order. These are judgment. People will try to talk it as curses. I don't want to use that word. Do it. You know, God curses. Uh, God doesn't. 
Okay, there are curses sent inflicted, but let's put it across as judgments. So the, the Satan gets his, his judgment. Okay, the snake gets his judgment, and then uh, the woman gets her judgment. And you will see in the woman's judgment. Okay, I will greatly multiply your sorrow. Okay, so you will see it begins. It begins. Her monthly cycle begins, which is connected with conception. It begins. And uh, till modern day medications came, it's a very painful thing for hormone changes. They go through whatever MS and PMS and all that. We don't understand, but it's a reality. Mm. It's there. The Bible talks about it. And it came because of the fall. Okay, so they go through that process and they go through that process till they reach a time when it stops, which is called menopause. But when a menopause comes, they go to another crazy phase. Mm. It's, it, it's, it's not, it's not the same. It's a different crazy phase. So this, this, as long as you are in this mortal body, this physical body, you're subject to the loss of this mortal body. Okay, that's why nobody wants to go to heaven in this body. Mm. That's why there is no salvation for this body. The salvation is for the body is that you get a new body. So you need to realize there is an actual case of uh, psychological issues over there. All of them went through. He went through it. All they are. It's not mentioned over there, but they all went through it because it's already there. Only thing, as like I say, it's like a record player. The more you play it, the more you play it, the crack starts appearing. So as you know, humanity is spiraling down to the end, it gets worse and worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. Okay, so it is there. It is there. So the, you will see. Uh, psychological changes and depression and sorrow, everything is connected to this, connected with the fall. Now, if you come down further to verse 17 and 18, 19, okay, now, now it's going to the man, then to Adam, that's the man, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree which I commanded you, saying, you shall not eat of it. He said, I told you something, your wife told you something else, you chose to listen to your wife. Okay, so it's not that you don't listen to your wife, but you know something God has spoken to you, then you don't con left your wife contradicted. Okay, so now look at the curse that is coming, uh, or the judgment that is coming for the man. Cursed is the ground for your sake. Mm. In your toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. And then, both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. Mm -hmm. So if you look at the man, his judgment is primarily in his workspace. And that's why people are, very rarely do you find people who are actually happy with their work. Whether they are working for God or whether they are working for man. The workspace is is judged workspace it was not that way before so where does man's depression comes from man's depression comes from his workspace yes workspace and there are classical cases of depressed people depressed people in the bible god's servants in the bible i'll give you uh, uh, elijah right elijah would be first uh, kings chapter 19 verses 3 and 4 Okay. Please understand that the biblical meaning of depression would be sorrow without hope. Mm. Okay, sorrow without hope. 
that would be the biblical meaning of depression. So we, you look at a classic case, okay? And that's when Jezebel threatened him, okay? Jezebel threatened him. When he saw that, he arose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah. Now, the classic case of what happening over there with Adam is happening, okay? Jezebel is not his wife, but she's a woman. He listened to her voice in opposition to what God has spoken to him. Okay, God has given him power, he has given an authority, he has given him anointing, he has to destroy the prophets of Baal. Now he is supposed to destroy Jezebel from whose table they eat, but he runs before Jezebel. Hmm. So when he runs before Jezebel, he is actually listening to her voice in opposition to God's voice. And immediately, all the satisfaction of all these years of serving God and everything is gone out. Okay, he himself went a day, okay, he left his servant there. You see the second symptom of depression hitting. You want to be alone, you are isolated. You leave your companions, you isolate yourself, okay. And he himself, you see, isolation and solitude are two different words. Solitude is when you isolate yourself to spend time with God. God yes. Isolation is when you separate yourself from everybody because you are depressed. Okay, so he's depressed. He leaves his servant there in verse 3. He himself went a day day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree and he prayed that he might die. Mm. Okay, now he's suicidal. And he said, it is enough now, Lord, take my life for I am no better than my father's. He has totally thinks he's a failure. Okay, now we don't go into psychology, okay. Now one of the things which I will tell all you brothers and sisters who have, who are listening, and some of you may have come through those psychological courses and all that, and clinical psychology, all this thing you have at all. But if you're a believer, throw your psychology books out. Throw your psychology books out. Don't go to Sigmund Freud or Carl Jung or any one of them. They were demonic. They had demonic masters and they had demonic guides and all their psychology comes from that. And the problem is the entire human secular education is based on psychology and psychiatry and all. The problem is much of psychology is demonic. You really want to counsel somebody, throw your psychology out and stick to the word and the word alone. Word alone. Okay? If you look in Genesis chapter 3, you will see what is the issue with the woman. And if you look at Genesis chapter 3, 17, you see what is the issue with man. And if you look in the same, you look at the issue with the devil concerning man. You shall crown all your belly and you shall eat of the dust. And we are made of dust. Our flesh represents dust. For the fodder for the devil is our flesh. Mm. That's why God says, die to the flesh. And the woman, he goes through her, her hormonal changes and all that stuff. And man's workplace, is it's a trap set up for this thing. That is how it, but that's not Freud. Freud is lust. It's libido. Freud's entire psychology is male, based on lust and sex. And so if you come through this sexual, this thing of psychology, then you will everybody think, oh, that one is full of lust and this is looking through lust. That's not Bible. That's not Bible. That's not Bible. The Bible looks at life completely differently. Completely differently. Okay, so you have to be very, very careful about mm. how how you analyze because when the psychologist and the psychiatrist chair and he starts you asking you questions and all, Bible doesn't do stuff like that. The Holy Spirit will tell you exactly what the problem is. We'll hit at that because most of the problems are spiritual and it has got to do with the fall. It got to do with the fall. So depression is if you turn with me to Second Samuel chapter twelve, chapter twelve, and verse fifteen. 
Okay, Second Samuel. Ah, uh, no. Uh, it's not Second Samuel. It's I think it's First Samuel. Where? Okay, we know where David acts like a madman. Okay, he breaks under pressure. Okay, this is the whole issue. When, you, when pressure becomes too much, Saul is, Saul is after his life and he acts like a madman with saliva drooling and this thing and all. Okay, it does not matter. We know that. Okay, so you will see these cases happening in David's life. Okay, cases happening where people pressure work, like you put it as work pressure. Okay, when pressure becomes too much, people snap. Mm. People snap. Yes, exactly. Yeah. They snap. Okay, so that's why even Jesus took the Messiah and said, rest for a little while, rest for a little while. Okay, so you need to see in the world, okay, look, this man is insane. Why have you brought him to me? Have I need of madmen that you have brought this fellow to play the madman in my presence? Right? He says, shall this fellow come into my house? Okay, so you will see uh, Elijah breaking under pressure. You see David breaking under pressure. And you will see a different thing that is in... Uh, Another fellow, that is Jonah. It's a crazy fellow. Mm -hmm. Okay, that is in Jonah, the final chapter. Okay, written it down. Okay, if you look into the book of Jonah. Okay, that guy also wants to die. Okay. Exceedingly, and he became angry. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, come further down. Further down. Yeah. Hmm? Verse 3, verse 3. Yeah. Therefore, please take my life. This is, this is a servant of God who is absolutely self-willed. He's serving God, but he wants to serve God his way. And if he doesn't want to have his way, he would rather die. He's serving God, but I will serve God. It's my way or the highway. Okay. And there are a lot of people like that. I will have my way. If I don't have my way, I will make you miserable. Now, it with him, this in his case, this is with God. Oh boy. This is with God. But when it is not with God, you will see, you know, like uh, we had a, a recent case too. Like, you know, where uh, one spouse is unbelievably violent. So what do you do? The other person just gives him. Just gives him. Violent. Some people are physically violent. Some people are verbally violent. And after some time, you realize there's no point fighting over this, fighting it over it. But you know, when all these things happen, what is happening is depression is setting in. Mm. Unless you really, really know God, depression is setting in. Pressure can, if you go to um, Second Corinthians, if you go to Second Corinthians, chapter one, okay, verse eight, nine, and ten. Second Corinthians chapter eight, nine, and ten. Yes. Yeah. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came to us in Asia. See, don't don't ever think uh, Paul wasn't a normal man. Mm -hmm. That's why say Elijah was a man of like passions. See, everybody is caught in this body. Paul is not a supernatural person. Mm -hmm. He's just a person like any one of us caught in this body with the same emotions and feelings and all. And his ministry is crazy. Everywhere he goes. They are after his life. They beat him up left, right, center, everything, okay? And, you no, know, it's, see, it is not, ministry is simply not easy, okay? Unless you are so only connected with God and not looking at the people, but you are ministering to the people, okay? So what happens is our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we are burdened beyond measure. 
above strength. So when Paul is talking about beyond measure and above strength, you can understand what it was. So mm. that we despaired even of life. We thought we would die. Okay, we gave up. Okay, we gave up. And verse 9 says, Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves. It says every day we are facing death. We thought, okay, this is the last day. Ask over. Okay, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead who delivered us from so great a death and does deliver us in whom we trust that he will. So he shows you a way to, through it all, God was good. He was merciful, teaching him to. But it is not that they went, didn't go through that. In another portion, the same chapter, he will talk about struck down and not power. But this is what you go through daily. And everybody is not has not learned to equip himself with the word and with the spirit like Paul. So most people in the in the church are not equipped to handle this kind of an attack. And the attack is 24-7. The demons do not sleep and the, the devil does not sleep. He is forever roaming to see whom he can devour. Okay, so that that, that is the test. That is the trial. That is the thing. And the problem is people don't run to God. People run to the world. And what the psychiatrist or the psychologist does is they look at this person and you realize you got... Okay, if you talk about medically, it also creates uh, what called chemical imbalances in your brain, in your body. So they give you drugs which to correct that imbalances and you become calm. But you're not functioning anymore like normal. You become calm. You become more like a zombie. And that's what happened. The entire U.S. system has been messed up with the school education where the children are prescribed these drugs. If you look at U.S. and if you look at their data... If I'm right, one of the drugs which is most sold is Prozac, mm. and which is which is basically for depression, depression, antidepressant, and it, it's an antidepressant. It's an antidepressant. But God doesn't prescribe Prozac for us. He gives us His Son, and He gives us His Spirit. Okay, that is the walk of faith. So depression is real mm. for woman. It is real for man. Is real. Man comes from office. You know, work pressure is so much. He comes. You know. A woman is going through her own this thing. Now think about this. Okay. Now think about this. Now you take a woman who after the fall into her system, it is built in which will cause her to be depressed and put her in the workplace. Oh boy. Put her in the workplace. Now she is facing. If you, if you go back to the, 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 the judgment over the work, which causes depression and oppression. Genesis chapter 3, okay? Both thorns and okay, 17 also, okay? Okay. Cursed is the ground for your sake. God didn't curse man. He just cursed the ground. Okay? In toil. There's a difference between labor and there is difference between labor and toil. toil. You shall toil. Your work has become, I mean, your work has become toil. Work has become toil all the days of your life. Okay, work has become toil. And verse 18 will say, use two words. What will that ground produce? Two things. It produces thorns, it produces thistles. These two are different. Thorns will poke you. Thorns are there to see that you don't touch it. You don't, it hurts you. Thistles block you. Okay, they make uh, hedges of thistles which block the animals from coming in. He says, you will face these two things. You will face pain and you will face opposition in your workplace. And man is supposed to get his satisfaction from his work. If you go to Genesis chapter 2. two. Yes. Okay. One of the first things God does with man. The woman is not there. Please understand. The woman is not there. There. Okay. 
and verse 15. Okay, verse 15. Then God, the Lord God, took man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend it and to keep it. That's his, he's, he's, he's been created to do that work. And now that work has been cursed or that ground on which you work has been cursed. Okay. And that's the cause of his uh, depression. Mm-hmm. So depression is real. The cause of woman is she has been, you can do whatever you can, the world can say whatever they want. But the woman was, let's say, if you want to use manufacturing terms, she was created by God to build the home. Okay, childbirth, building the home. The wise woman builds the home. But you see, into that is built in this. Built into this. So you will see, for her, her home will always bring tension. For man, the work area will always bring tension. The result of the fall. And then on top of that, you are surrounded by demonic entities which tries to make you go crazy. And if you look at it, what is the way out? The way out is only Christ. If you look at First Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13, you have to live your day one by day by faith. Okay? No temptation has overcome you except as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. So God has made a way, and that's why Jesus says the way. But you need to realize, if you want to escape all these things, uh, it's like speaking to a brick wall in 21st century world. You have to come under God's order. Original order. That's the way of escape. You have to fall under God's original order. That's the first step. And then work from there. Work from there. That's why Jesus said, you see, ultimately it's all about roti, kapada, and makan. At the end of the day, it's about what will you eat, what will you drink, what will you wear. He says, don't worry about that. That I will take care of it. That is the end of this flesh. What to eat, what to drink, what to wear. Your body. I'll take care of it. But you come under my order. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You have to come. And when that comes to it, again you are trapped. If you go to Timothy, again Timothy talks about, Paul talks through Timothy, okay? It has a much more deeper meaning. 215? Yes, 215, yes. Yeah, 1 Timothy, chapter 2, okay? Verse 11 onwards. Let's read from verse 11 onwards. This is God's word. You are upset with it. Uh, go fight with Paul when you reach heaven, if you make it to heaven. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let a woman learn in silence with all submission. Now, 2, 2.5 billion, let us split it or 3 billion women on earth, I don't think you can find 5 who will take 11 in its totality. Okay, with all submission, not some sub- submission or what you like. It's a simple, you come under the order, you are free. That's why the only woman mentioned in the Bible connected with that is Sarah. And she was asked to do terrible things by her husband, depending upon the knowledge of God they had then, not the knowledge of God we have then. And God says, Listen to Sarah. I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence. Okay. And then, for Adam was formed first. This is the order. Adam was formed first. God created the uh, um, garden, planted the trees, put Adam to work over there. Okay. And he told, all these things were told to Adam. It was not all to Eve. Okay. Then Eve. Adam was not deceived. But the woman being deceived fell into transgression. 
again. Nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith. So what was a judgment? If you work in it in faith, love and holiness, holiness with self-control, what was supposed to be against you will turn it around for you. Hallelujah. Yep. Turn it around for you. It was supposed to be against you, but in Christ it can turn for you. What the what we say, like Joseph saying, what the devil meant for harm, God meant it for good. Okay? God meant it for good. In the same way man's workspace was set up. And now God says, Enter into my rest first. Enter into my rest each day. And then go to work. And you will realize you will not be depressed. Because you are not looking anything from man. Oh, yes. Yes. You're looking everything from God. And God will always give you satisfaction. Mm. God will always give you satisfaction. Always. If you walk by faith, you will have that job satisfaction. That's how you handle depression. That's how you handle And it is all there. Sarah, all of them, Eve, all of them went through. Once it was pronounced, it started coming. Only thing, it will get worse because you are so far away from God. Even Christians, believing Christians, are so far away from the authenticity of obeying scripture. Obeying scripture. Mm. Because our education, our mind has been messed up with secular humanism. Yes, yes. Secular humanism. It's very difficult to find a genuine Christian because humanism has got in. And humanism has got to do with man, self. Christianity has got to do with Christ. And humanism is what we were educated in. The whole world is basing on humanism. And then what happens is when you have a mixture of humanism, and Christianity, you will go through your struggles. You will flip between. And actually, most people are still divided between two opinions. And you will go through. Immediately, you are open for depression. You are open for oppression. Until, okay, because there is no Elijah binding up the prophets of Baal or the demons of Baal. Okay, So that's how it works. The way is make a move towards God and let the order come. Let the order come. Work in that order. Repair the altar. Meet God each day and un, what you call, surrender to the word of God without conditions. Because even if you think it is miserable, it is only for a short time. Yes. This is momentary affliction. Mm. In a marriage, momentary affliction. In heaven, there is no marriage. Bible is very clear. There is no <laughs> marriage in heaven. This is a temporary, this marriage also will look to the next question. It's, a, it's something temporary. But we are supposed to learn through that to prepare for heaven. Amen. Prepare for heaven. Or simply it doesn't work. Simply it doesn't work. Okay, That's how you handle this because it's a real thing. Depression is a real thing. And uh, you're going to go on medicine, you will be dysfunctional in the kingdom of God. Okay? <coughs> so, one, one question that I yeah, how do we know we are demonized? Yeah. That also was part of the yes, question. Yes. Yeah, how do we know we're <coughs> demonized? You actually, there are, uh, there's too many schools of thought connect, connected this with in many of them are wrong, <coughs> are wrong because they think, you know, uh, a Christian cannot be demonized. A Christian can be demonized. The demons can be in your flesh, in your body. Or it can establish strongholds in your mind. And the strongholds in the mind is more difficult. Okay? It's more difficult. So that is what we call has demonized. Okay? And when you are demonized, uh, the acute form of demonized is when you start losing control. 
you start start losing control, you start getting violent, you know, physically violent and all and extreme cases we are talking about. The other cases is that you start hearing voices. You hear voices. Hmm. You hear voices in your mind and different voices speaking to you and all those things happen, okay? We don't want to get into demonization because that's a huge topic. But if anybody thinks there is no demonization, then come for some of our deliverance sessions and you will see hmm. demonization, how real it is. Different personalities coming out, demons talking in the voice of man, all kinds of crazy stuff happen. Because the demonization is true, is real. For demonization, the only answer is deliverance. The demons have to be cast out. Psychiatry cannot handle it. Psychologists cannot handle it. They have to be cast out. And that's the appropriation of the kingdom principle. He said, go preach the kingdom and cast out the demons. Cast out the demons. And they were nice, believing Jews. And they were all demonized. And we are also nice Christians and they are demonized. (laughs) Okay, open doors for the demons to come in. So the only way for demonization out is deliverance. 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 Uh, Medicines don't work. It just keeps you numb. And the demons don't mind it. As long as they have a body to live in, they're okay. They're okay. Okay, that's that's how I would like to tackle that question. Yes, Pastor. One 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 point Mm. I wanted to ask: Mm. When you're talking about man's uh, workspace, you said there are thorns and thistles, essentially talking about pain and. Can you hear, Pastor? Can you hear me? Is it loud enough? Yeah. Yeah. You're talking about uh, pain and opposition. Mm. Now, uh, what, what, uh, how do you talk to a guy who's depressed, who's ostensibly? Mm. successful in what is whatever he's doing but he's still not fulfilled and he's mm. still depressed about his success mm. how do you uh, deal with depression in such cases no the only way you can you see the most successful person on planet earth was solomon and he was depressed yeah. exactly so because you are not supposed to find your fulfillment in your work mm. in your success so it's again coming back to god's order it's, it's coming back to god mm. because you see your issue with success is you looked at your work and you declared yourself a success. But the arbiter of success is God, not man. Mm. Yes. It's not God. And God hasn't said, Jesus was okay. Because God said, I'm pleased with exactly. you. Exactly. That's right. That's pleased right. with you. Absolutely. Yeah. For 30 years of life, you have no record. But the Father said, I'm pleased with you. That means he's successful. His work was successful. In the case of the human sees that we look at all the rich people as yes. successful. And that one as successful. And we always give them this thing. And we look at them as success. And after some time, that success gets into mm-hmm. their head. Now, what they are all trying to do is either get, become the greatest success or trying to maintain that success. But the problem is God still hasn't told you. That's why he told the rich man, you fool. You fool. Don't you know that your soul will be demanded today? And what about it? Mm. You know. So, that's that's the issue. That's the issue. We are always looking to the left and right. We should encourage each other. That's one thing. But that's not the issue with the fallen man. The fallen man is always looking for what? I will do it my way and I want my way to be accepted. That's gain. He will not come through God's way. He thinks he's a successful farmer. And he brings a part of his success before God and say, accept it. And God says, I can't. I can't. Oh boy. I mm. can't. Because your way is not my way. Mm. I can't. I can't. You know? Well, evil doesn't come that way. He comes God's way. And God accepts it. Accepts him. And that's where the issue comes in. And they, they are all depressed. Don't look at these rich people and think they are not depressed. Yes, they are yes, all depressed. Exactly, because they are all depressed. depressed. I'm telling you, 
When eternity begins, you will realize there were most of them, if not all of them, were on drugs. They handle it. Handle it. Enhancement drugs, or whatever drugs they are on, and they are all on drugs. And their success, if it was a part of Christ, they have compromised on everything with the devil to get that success. Because you will not rise in the world, either with God like Daniel, or with the devil like the others. There is no other way. There is no second way. Second way, you will be a mediocre. It's normal, that's all. You cannot be successful in that world, because it's in the hands of two people. God and the devil. The devil offered it to Jesus. Bow down, I'll give you it all to you. He said, no. Hmm. And Joseph, when he reached, he reached without compromising the top. And he had to go through hell and high water to reach that position. Both hell. Daniel yes. and Joseph. They hell had and to I go water. through it. Hell and high water. Amen. <laughs> there is no other way. Yes. There is no other way. So we are talking about really, really successful in any field. Hmm. Any field. Yes, Pastor Vijay. So, so next question is on marriage. Marriage, marriage. And now ears can perk up. This is, I think, for those who are unmarried, actually. But okay, principles. Se- are there. Several parts of que- of the question. We'll go through it. Would it be wrong if we marry an unbeliever and eventually lead him to the Lord? Second, does it matter if you uh, does it matter if you marry a black, white, or Hispanic? Hispanic. Why is there so much of prejudice in the world? If you marry a man from another country, does it make a difference? You married an American, Hispanic. Why is it wrong if you marry a spouse? No, I did not marry a Hispanic because I married her panic and when I made her panic, I became Hispanic. (laughs) (laughs) Just just joking, okay? (laughs) I was looking at that term, Hispanic. Why couldn't if a woman is, how can a woman be Hispanic? She has to be her panic, right? Okay. Why is it <laughs> Why is it wrong if somebody will say again, what sense of humor? Okay. If you marry a spouse from a different country, especially if, if they're they are Christian. Christian. Okay. So it's a big, big question. Okay. So there are four parts to this question. Okay. First, would it be wrong if you marry an unbeliever and eventually lead him to the Lord? Does it matter if you marry a black, white, or Hispanic or any 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 color race? Why is there so much prejudice in the world? If you marry a man from another country, does it make a difference? You married an American Hispanic. Why is it wrong if you marry a spouse from a different country, especially if they are Christian? So, I think the rest of the time we'll go into this. (laughs) Because this is a loaded question. Okay? So first, you have to look at marriage. You go to Genesis chapter 2 and 24. This is before the fall. Okay, before the fall. Therefore man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. This is before the fall. Please understand. And then, this was a shadow. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31 and 32. Same verses repeated in 31. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Mm. So, that's why there is no marriage in heaven. Marriage was only on earth. It was meant to be a prototype of what would be eternal, Christ's relationship with the church. So, please get this picture. Your ideal, what you are fighting for, what you are working for, 
is not what is on earth, but what is in heaven. Amen. Meaning, it takes two to tango. Mm. You can have a failed marriage and be successful in heaven. If you kept to your part of the marriage. Mm. You can have an incredibly successful marriage on earth and be a failure in the eternal thing because you are successful because you made all the right kind of compromises and therefore you could walk together. Mm. Okay, So please get these fundamental pictures because when you talk about marriage, like especially now when you talk about marriage and so much knowledge, understanding is there in the word of God. um, The first thing I would ask a couple is, what are you looking for? Because you cannot see, it's like a classroom, like Pastor Vijay and I, because both of us came from a classroom. First two, three, four days in the class, we will know which students are really interested and not. Okay. So though we teach the same subject to all the students, yet, like I, I can tell you, like 1990. Mm. Okay. 1990. You ask me in one shot, can you remember the names of two of your students? Which is this year? 2020. 30 years, right? Yes. Sanam Karma Sharing and Sushma Rai. You know why? Because they were all Bhutan first in my subject. Because these two, two different classes were absolutely interested in the subject. Okay, subject. So all these things are there in the Bible. There is an ideal about marriage. Mm. And most people are not interested in it. But we cannot lower the bar. Yes. Because we did not set the bar. Amen. We did not <laughs> set the bar. We did not set the bar. The mm. bar was set by God. I and you did not set the bar. So as servants of God, our job is to preach what God has said, not what we feel about it. Okay. Uh, that is the struggle of Ministry. That's why Elijah goes into depression. Because here is a man who's given his entire life into praying for the salvation of Israel. And they're not interested. And at the most successful day of his ministry, what you hear is, they want his head. Yes, he's depressed. They want his head. And the guy who saw it all happening before his eyes, Ahab does not even speak up for him. Okay. So please remember, genuine ministry genuine ministry is dissatisfying if you look at man. You have to look at God. You have to look at God. That's why Paul says, when I preach, I preach unto Christ and not unto man. So when you are looking at marriage, you need to realize this is, the marriage is a mystery. The marriage, if you are, if you are a married person, or, or this is one of the things I will tell you. You can be single and be married. To Christ. And fulfill all the expectations of God in a marriage. What a marriage should make you without getting married. Without getting married. That's what the Bible says. You barren woman, you shout in joy. More are your children. Yes, Isaiah 54. Yeah, more are your children. Mm -hmm. Because the new covenant, if you understand, because the the, in the Old Testament, marriage was a shadow. Mm. The substance is the believer's Christ relationship with Christ. Yes. Relationship with Christ. And the entire picture of the marriage was to make prepare us for that. For that. 
But the world talks about, comes, comes, men and talks about marriage. It's a completely different picture altogether. Because they will bring a word which call, which is called love there. And it has got nothing to do with uh, what the world talks about. The word of God talks about. Now when the world talks about love, it is either talking about the lust of the flesh or the lust of the soul. Lust of the flesh or the lust of the soul. So when two people, whether they are Christian or non-Christian, when they get married, they get married based on the lust of the flesh or the lust of the soul. The lust of the flesh is simply flesh, it's sex. And once that is over, after some time, interest is gone. And they are like two roommates in a hostel. The lust of the soul is, they agree on so many things which is common. It has got nothing to do with the kingdom of God. Hmm. Like, you know, you have this, Kerala is a classic case like that, you know. Uh, when you have doctors, you know, you will see the gynec will marry the pediatrician. You always will see Kerala, you go into hospital, the wife is a gynec, the husband is a pediatrician. What she delivers, he will take care for the next 15 years. And they get along very well. Because what are their discussions about? I delivered, I took care. Okay, engineers, you will see all kind, you will see IAS officer marrying an IPS girl. Okay, this is soul. This is basically the lust of the soul. Okay, so when the, so you have a term which is called soulmate. Mm-hmm. Okay, you have a soulmate. So you have fleshmate and soulmate. And then you have checkmate. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so you have to look at it. So when we, when I am talking about marriage, I am not talking as a psycholo- psychologist or a marriage counselor or anything from psychology. I, my job is to interpret the word. Mm-hmm. Okay, divide it correctly. What is, what are you looking? So if a couple were to come to me, I would, uh, I mean, depending upon their reaction. Okay, you don't put expectations on people who don't have those expectations. Mm. Students who just want to pass, you don't talk them about distinction. You leave them alone. Okay, pass. It's pass in your marriage. That's okay. Okay, pass in your marriage. So when you look at, you have to look at. This is distinction. This is what you are looking at. This is looking at. And in that, there is a lot of sacrifice. Because you are running for something that is eternal. Then the second thing about marriage, why these issues are there, you need to realize after the fall, Genesis 3.16, the second part, we looked at the first part connected with PMS. Second part, after the fall, marriage is what we call short-circuited. Your desire, the second part, your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over, rule over you. Okay, I will want you to come back to that. Turn to Genesis 4. Okay, Genesis 4. Verse 6 and 7. Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why has your countenance fallen? You do, if you do well, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do well, sin lies at the door and its desire is for you. The word in used in Genesis 3 connected with woman's desire for man and sin's desire for Cain is exactly the same. So this is not love or affection. This is control. Mm-hmm. Genesis 3, 16, second part. Marriage is short circuit. Your desire is to control your husband, but he will rule over you. 
you will try to control him and he will try to control you and because he is physically much stronger and the society was framed that way that's why the entire movement against patriarchy and now the man's voice the father's voice has been completely be silenced because of the short circuit that happened in the marriage okay so after the fall marriage is short circuited short circuited now go to genesis chapter 4 and verse 1 and 2 one and two. Adam knew Eve his wife and she conceived bore Cain and said I have acquired a man from from the Lord and she bore again this time his brother Abel okay now if you see in genesis chapter 4 1 it's not adam who's speaking it's eve who's speaking mm mm-hmm. she's the one who's speaking she's already controlling the whole narrative it's already okay so it's it, these two people are not walking together conflict is already begun and it will go into two things the controlling spirit will go into cain the submissive spirit will go into abel so abel will submit to god's ways and cain will not submit and it will end up with one brother murdering the other okay it's a result of the breakdown of marriage which goes into the children and from there every family on earth is dysfunctional so when you are thinking about marriage you have to ask yourself lord what are your aspirations in marriage what are you looking for when you're looking is it do you have a very scriptural idea about marriage is it about what jesus said this is how you need to pray is it about his name is it about his will is it about his kingdom mm. so this thing has to come into every area of your life yes. when abraham when david took betsheba god said you goofed up my name yes my name in your relationship with the woman you messed up my name so god is talking he can only talk to david he talk doesn't talk about that to any other man in the bible because david was a man after god's own heart so how god deals with a man who is after on his heart is different from how he deals with a man who is not after god's own heart so please don't ever think god can speak the same things to everybody no he cannot so david is very zealous for god and he said son do you know that in your relationship with this woman you mess my name up my name because you thought it was you and betsheba you don't realize the relationship with a man and a woman is about my son and the church <laughs> and he's going to come and sit on your throne he'll be called your son okay so understand the bigger picture understand the bigger picture okay <laughs> then we are talking about the next thing okay now once you have had understood this you go to second corinthians you have you know the big picture the marriage is short circuited after the fall i need to be very very careful about it second corinthians chapter 6 14 onwards do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness what communion has light with darkness so the greatest yoking on earth is when a man marries a woman it's a yoke two people are going to go together that's what a yoke means mm. okay there are different kinds of yoking friends partnerships business all kind of that. but there is only one yoke where you are told until death hmm. until death okay so the first thing rule 
for marriage over there. Once you have understood the big picture, now you are getting into nitty gritties. The first picture you are told is Rama the king and the kingdom. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what? Let's read the whole thing and then come back uh, to verse 14. What accord has Christ with Belial? <laughs> what part has a believer with an unbeliever? That answers the first question. Can you marry an unbeliever and later lead? Eventually lead him to the Lord. So him, that means the question was from a girl. No, you cannot. It's very clear. You cannot go against God's word. And most of the people I have seen who tried this, the marriage was a mess. Mess was a total mess. The marriage was a total mess. Very rarely does it work. Usually it goes the other way. And especially if it's a girl who marries an unbelieving boy. It's a mess. It's a mess. You know? And the mess becomes even more when the children start coming. You have a believer and an unbeliever. And the children start coming. Where will the child go? The child will automatically go the way of the unbeliever because the child is flesh. Mm. And flesh will join with flesh. Okay, so the Bible, the first, so the first question, it's very clear, you know. So when you are admitted in a hospital and the doctor says you will be discharged after seven days, you will say you want to leave the first day, he will ask you to sign a document which says at your own risk. Mm. So if you want to get married to an unbeliever, it's at your own risk. God will not take responsibility for it. It's your own risk. He does not contradict his word. He has said in his word, I have exalted or magnified my word above all my name. As simple as that. And I know people, personally people, who walked away from God, lost their salvation, and they converted to other religions, who were in the Lord once, after marriage. Because they had, I mean, the pressure was too much. They buckled, 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 and went. Because it's a yoke. Okay, so if you look at the whole thing and if you go back to verse 14, okay, for you are the temple of the living God. Okay, now think of a thing. I mean, it, it sounds strange, but this is the truth. Imagine I am a believer. Imagine I am a believer. If I am a believer, I am a, I am a, I am the temple of the living God because God's spirit lives in me. Imagine this is a woman. Okay, imagine this is very difficult to imagine this is a woman, but imagine this is a woman. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and she's an unbeliever. I'm a believer, she's an unbeliever. And if you look at the context in which he's talking about, so if I am the temple of God, what is she? Temple of the devil. Temple of Belial. So can you have the temple of God and the temple of Belial coming together side by side? What accord has Christ with Belial? Mm-hmm. Okay, that's how tough God is about this. How tough God is mm. is about it. So you have to look at it, and you will say no. If you go to verse fourteen, look at God's order. Okay, God's order. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what? Fellowship. What is the first thing mentioned over there? Fellowship. Fellowship. You need to understand. Go to Genesis two and verse eighteen. Yeah. <coughs> two and verse eighteen. The two primary functions. The Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. What's the first thing? Fellowship. Fellowship. The first purpose of marriage is fellowship. And the end of 
Fellowship is oneness. Hmm. Is oneness. End of fellowship is oneness. And out of that fellowship and oneness is birth the child. Okay? We looked at Abraham's four altars. You come to Shechem, you lay your burden, you come to the house of God and you start learning of God, you start hearing from God, you come to Hebron, you have fellowship with God, at Moriah you become one with God. Mm-hmm. Okay? So these are these four altars. So the first purpose of marriage is fellowship. The second purpose of marriage is they are both called to a work. Mm-hmm. I will make him a helper comparable to, he needs a helper. Mm-hmm. He needs a helper. They are working together towards the same goal. So first is fellowship, the second is work. Or First is walk, second is work. Oh. Because fellowship means two people are walking together. And come to Amos 3-3, uh, right? Yes. 3-3? Yeah, 3-3. Can two walk together unless they are agreed? No. Can I walk with God unless I agree with Him? No. Oh, yeah. So how does two people agree? For two people agree, like whenever in India, you, if you have realized when the when these opposition parties, whether it is NDA or UPA, how do they? Because these are different parties that make a coalition and form the government. What do they have? They have something which is called CMP, Common Minimum Program. Mm. Because they have different, different ideologies. And they have a common minimum program and say, we will govern for the next five years based on this common era. Where we cannot agree, we will not talk about it. Okay? So God mm-hmm. says, two people are going to walk together. Two believers are going to walk together. I have given you something. This is how you walk together. You agree on my word. You agree on my word. Okay? Agree on my word. Because conflicts will come. Okay, conflict will come. It's like two people have a conflict. Where do you go for justice? You go to court, right? In the same way, a man and a wife will have issues. Where do you go to? You go to the word of God. What does the word of God say? And that's the major issue with a believer and an unbeliever. If two people, are, one is agreed to the word, the other is not agreed to the word, then what happens is, how do you agree? How do you bring reconciliation? On what basis? So they go to psychology. Mm-hmm. They go to psychology. Psychologists will tell you what you want to hear. He's not based on truth. Meaning he's, he has no covenant with truth, which is an absolute. Just an absolute, okay? So there are two things over here. Can two walk together unless they are agreed? No. But the first primary function of what is it is walk. Yes. Now let's look at how tough God is about this or how much he tries to tell you about this. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 22, 9, 10 and 11 if I am right. These are all fit into Israel's law. Mm. You shall not sow your vineyard with different kinds of seed, mm. lest the yield of the seed which you have sown and the fruit of your vineyard be defiled. No two different kinds of seed. You shall not plow with an ox and a donkey together. One field, don't plant two kinds of things. It's kind of a picture of a marriage. Two people in one house. Don't let it be two different kinds of people. One believer, one unbeliever. One strong believer, one nominal believer. These are all unequal yoking. All unequal yoking. All unequal yoking. Okay? You shall not plow with an ox and a donkey 
together. Mm-hmm. You shall not wear a garment. Garment is also talking about oneness. Mm-hmm. Okay, it becomes one. You put one garment over it, two shall become one. You shall not wear a garment of different sorts, such as wool and linen mixed together. Now, he's not talking about a vineyard or a bull or ox or a donkey, or he's talking he's talking about man's relationship with one another and with God. Yes, with God. So when if I have to walk with God, I have to agree with God. I cannot take my psychology to God. Okay. When if it says you know walked with God for three hundred years, then they took him because he became of one mind with God. Mm-hmm. If Abraham became the friend of God because at Moriah he became one with God. Okay, one with God. So that's what he's talking about. Now we are talking in terms of a marriage. Mm-hmm. If in a marriage, if see the issue usually issue is both sides, the man and the woman, okay? With the man, the issue is modern 21st century Christian, average Christian man, does not know his word. He is not interested in the word. He only knows one or two scriptures. One is that, woman submit to your husband in all things as unto the Lord. That somewhere he has memorized. But the problem is, she may be a godly woman and she is submitting, but she does not know what to submit to because she is ungodly. Because she does not know the word. Okay? But if she is a godly woman, she is constrained by that same rule of God. She is submit your husband in all things. Submit your husband in all things. But the problem is with the head. The head is not submitted to Christ, which is the word of God. Word of God. Okay, or look in the case of the head knows the word of God and he is submitted to the word of God and to the spirit of God. But the woman does not know much of the word of God, but she is submissive. There is not much trouble. Mm-hmm. But supposing she is not submissive, she is very strong-willed. Then it's going to be trouble. It's going to be trouble. Submissive. Okay, one of one of the things which I do constantly during this lockdown also counseling is what I tell is that one of the fundamental reasons you need to understand today's world, 21st century world, we are talking about women. Unlike the earlier ages, today's girls get married late. Yes. Get married late. By the time they get married, most of the city girls have studied worked, earned a salary, experienced an independent life outside of her father or her husband. Mm -hmm. Then she gets married and asked to be a bit dependent in all things. Early centuries, it was not like that. The girl moved from under her father to under her husband. There's a smooth transition. So there was always less chance of issues. But today, that's not it. They experience their freedom. Some mm. of them much more than men. Much more than men. Experience, they make good money. They have traveled around the world. They do their shopping. They buy. They have lived a life of independence. And that's why if you look at it, you hear every day marriage is breaking down. Marriage is breaking down. Christian marriage. I'm not talking about other marriages. Other marriages can be always be adjusted because they don't have these values of eternity. So you need to look at all these things. All these things, when you are talking about, can I marry that one, can I marry this one, and can I marry from this, that is not the point. The point is, where does Christ come in your life? Mm. 
Where does the kingdom come into you? Yes. What place does the word of God have in your life? When you have an issue and you go to a counselor and the counselor, this is what is written. Will you both submit to it? It's as simple as that. Do you take the word of God as absolute? Right? Ayodhya temple, the stone is laid, the building is, construction is started, right? After 14, 20 years, why? The Supreme Court made a verdict. Whether the verdict is right or wrong is irrelevant. The verdict was made. Right? So the question is, God is asking, will you accept the verdict of my word? So we are talking about Christian marriages. So best before we even think about Christian marriages, is first ask, can you two both walk together? Can you really walk together? Are you of one kind? Or are you two different seeds? Is one an ox who will be doing all the work, spiritual, bearing the burden, while the other is stubborn or a donkey? That's how marriages are. Ox is, uh, ox is an animal of service. service. So in a Christian marriage where both are equally yoked, both are oxen. Both are serving God and serving one another. But that's not the way it is. One is an ox and one is a donkey. Hmm. One is the one who is submitting, submitting just to have some peace. While the other one is kicking around. Okay, Or both are donkeys hmm. and call themselves oxen. Christians. So you have all these issues. Because marriage is a big thing for God big thing for God because one is it's a shadow of something that is eternal. So you have all these pictures over there. So when you are talking about who you should marry, if you turn with me to First Timothy chapter 5 and uh, verse 14. I did I write? Yeah. Therefore I decide that younger widows uh, marry, bear children, manage the house, give no opportunity to the adversary to speak reproach. Now we are talking even about widows. Okay? So, does the Bible say you should not marry? No, the Bible says you should marry. If hmm. you cannot handle a single life, get married. And even a widow, let her marry. Let her marry. Don't mess it up. Okay? Let me, let me come together. Uh, let me put it all together. And then, uh, First Corinthians chapter 7. That's another marriage chapter. Let's go to verse 38. Okay. It's talking about younger widows. So then he who gives her in marriage does well, but he who does not give her in marriage does better. Mm-hmm. That's putting the kingdom perspective over there. If you, if you get married, it's good. If you realize it will not mess up your walk with God and your work for God, it is good. But, if he does not get married, it's better. Mm. Better. Now verse 39. Okay, 39. That is answering the first question. Okay. Okay. Uh, a wife is bound by law as long as her husband lives. But if her husband dies, she is a liberty to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. Wow. Meaning, we will make the maximum concession for a widow. Widow, yes. But even for the widow, be very careful. The man is a believer. Mm. So can I marry an unbeliever? No. But she is happier if she remains as she is, according to my judgment. I think also I have the just spirit of God. Twice he uses this this particular phrase. Phrase, yeah. phrase. Because he is coming personally from a person who chose to be single. And he's talking about the incredible this thing when you are single and you are on fire for God. How you can serve God without restraints and restrictions. And he probably has counseled so many married couples in the church. Mm. 
And he's saying, this is my suggestion. You really on fire for God. Don't marry somebody who will put cold water on that fire. That's what happened to Solomon. Okay, so, he, so you have to look at this picture. So I'm telling you, my job is not to lower the bar. Because then I'll be guilty of stealing your crowns in eternity. So you have to look at the high bar God places. And then based on that, you have to ask yourself this question. If, if you're a woman, if I marry this man, can we both walk together? Can I, can we both walk together? Or if I marry this woman, can we both walk together? Okay? So we go back to Genesis 12 and, uh, sorry, 2 and verse 18. We saw the first purpose is what? Fellowship. Mm -hmm. They walk together. They can walk together only they choose to agree. Agree. The second thing is that they are able to work together. Now if they are working in two different tangents, how do they work together? This is constantly a conflict. And that's why the marriages have all broken down in the world. There are more divorces in Christendom than in the Gentile world. Marriages are, and even the marriages which are together is only put together with tape. It's not real. It's, if you only understand from scripture what is possible, mm. then only you will be dissatisfied with what you have. Yes, See, ig- ignorance is bliss. Mm-hmm. Mm. But it's foolish bliss. Okay, it's, If you look at it, so husband is doing one thing, wife is doing another thing. How is she a helpmate? How is she a helpmate? How is she a helpmate? But the way God had ordered it, man takes care of the work outside, woman handles the work inside, and she is the helpmate because he doesn't have to worry. That's Proverbs 31. No, husband is taken his seat at the city. I mean, he's, he's going up, and his God is giving more and more and more responsibility in the world. Now he's at the city gate with the elders, and he's making judgments, but he doesn't have to worry at ho- about home. He doesn't have to worry about home. He knows it is in absolutely safe hands. Amen. Okay. But on the other hand, husband is there, wife is there, maid is there. Everyone is calling every two hours. How is my child? How is my child? How is my child? How is my child? The child is wild. (laughs) So what did you birth? What was your ministry? What is your ministry? Because that is Isaac, right? What is your ministry? What did you birth? What did you birth? Okay, that's one of the first things God is going to ask. Both are work. Both are work. We don't know which work is more tedious. The work outside or the work at home. Sometimes the work at home is more tedious. Mm. More tedious. Okay, so you have to look at all these pictures and come before God and ask, should I get married in the first place? If you're unmarried, should I get married? What do you want to get married for? But we do not put this, if you do marry, there is no issue. If you don't marry, no no issue. Mm -hmm. This is only we can be told to kingdom people. Mm-hmm. Absolutely on fire for God. Consistently on fire for God. Like Paul. And I have to ask that from God. And if you are married, if you are going to get married, can two walk together? Then there is this question. Right? Mm-hmm. Does, it, does it matter if you marry a black, white or Hispanic? Why is there so much prejudice in the world? If you marry a man from another country, does it make a difference? You married an American, Hispanic... Now, these are all real questions. I mean, let's, you cannot skirt these questions. These are real questions. There is so much prejudice in the world. You cannot help it. One of the least racist nations in the world is US. Actual truth. One of the most least racist nations on earth 
is US. You need to go to other countries, other third world countries to understand what is racism and casteism. Okay, you can't take it away. You cannot educate and expect these things to, okay. So I married an Hispanic. Married a Hispanic. But that's a different picture. That's not the question. That is not the question. The question is this. There is, there is a, there is, there is a walk, there is a work, and there is this third part of it which will frame you, which is called culture. Abraham was absolutely clear, my son will not marry a girl from anywhere here. Okay? Verse 1, he will not be able to walk with her, she will not be able to work with him, and 3, she will never understand him. Culturally, they are opposites. Culture matters. Culture matters. Now what is happening is, uh, culture itself is being broken down. It's unification of yeah, culture. Yeah, it's a unification of culture. Children don't have any culture anymore. In mm. both ways it means they have no culture at all. <laughs> okay, but culture matters. Mm-hmm. So he does not have a kosher girl. He has a girl who is not in the promised land, but who is not in the Ur of the Chaldeans, who has come halfway and is living at Haran. So if I have to choose to marry a devout believer, and there's none like that, and a compromised believer, he says, let my boy marry a compromised believer. That is Rebecca from my household, my brother's household. They're not living in the Arab, the Chaldeans. They're living in Haran. Okay, but it's very clear. Because culture matters. Ultimately, we are all framed by our culture. Because when you actually start to live day to day, Okay, we we have watched too many movies. That's the problem. You know, two people get married. When your stomach is burning a hole in your stomach, you will see love does not feed it. Okay, because you realize, this is one of the fundamental issues because how you think, okay, how you think, there are so many things about culture. It will take time for a believer to come into a biblical culture. Hmm. It's something called a biblical Biblical culture. culture. A biblical culture. culture. But Hmm. there are also other parts of biblical culture where the Bible is not, doesn't talk about. Like let me talk about it because you have used my uh, situation over there. I'm Indian, absolutely Indian. I'm from South India. And my wife is Hispanic. We, our eating habits are absolutely different. Absolutely different. Absolutely different. She can't cook for me. I can't cook for her. Just absolutely different. Now, if we were not kingdom people, it would become a major issue. Mm-hmm. Major issue. It would become a major issue. I'm not saying it's not an issue. It's not an issue because I cook. And people do not know I cook my own meals. I don't want that to be an issue in my marriage. I cook here. That's why I have a place here I cook. It doesn't, I don't want that to become an issue. You've got bigger things in the world than to worry about what food on the table. I can cook. I learned to cook when I was a teenager. I can cook better than my mother. <laughs> don't tell her that. She'll get offended. <laughs> she might be also listening. She's listening. <laughs> yeah, I can. But I don't do it. I can cook. My mom is an excellent cook, but I can cook better than everything she cooks. I can cook. <laughs> I can cook. But it, it does not matter. The kingdom is bigger than that. You're not going to worry what you're going to eat in heaven. The church is not going to cook for Christ. 
Okay, in heaven. You have to look at the bigger picture. But you are a young couple. You are a young couple. Let's say in this question. You are an American who is marrying a Chinese. What will you eat? Pasta or uh, noodles? What will you eat? What will you eat? Okay. What will you eat? You know. Peter and Sami have been in India for 10 years. They still have stomach with tr- uh, trouble with Indian food. Yep. They still have a trouble. You know, they still have trouble. So there are lots of things like this which you have to understand. There is culture. Mm-hmm. There is culture and culture is important. Culture is important. Now everybody will see my wife praying and say, oh, you look so cute. You're not at all like we saw you in your young days. It's because she adapted to my culture and I said, this is how you dress in India. This is how you dress in India. It wasn't easy. It wasn't easy. It wasn't easy. Okay, but what if it was not a spiritual union? And she says, I'm not going to. You know, like when my daughters come, when my daughters come and when we go on vacations, I tell my daughters very clearly, you know, when I was in Singapore and all, I am walking with you if you're dressed like this. I am not walking with you. It doesn't matter that nobody knows me here. It's irrelevant. My God knows me. I'm not walking with a girl who's dressed like this. My wife wore a top last week. Let me tell you about culture. Wore a top last week. And one of my spiritual daughters from U.S. Spiritual, very spiritual daughters wrote to me and said, Dad, 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 you command Ma to give me that top. I liked you so much. Because uh, in uh, in this thing uh, in US I can wear it without pants. The first thing when I looked at it, what went through my heart was, and honestly, if she is listening, and I, mean, I had almost I didn't have a seizure. I was shocked because I loved that child too much as a spiritual. I said, honestly, after all that you have heard from me, you would wear this without pants in US. This top without pants in US. That's what I, the first thing that I mean, really. Because for a child of God, it doesn't matter whether you live in U.S. or whether you live in India. There's a dress code in kingdom culture which is called modesty. And modesty is not determined by your culture. It's determined by God. And this becomes issues in a marriage. Issues in a marriage. If it's a kingdom marriage. It becomes an issue. It's a major issue. It becomes an issue. Because if you are a man, let's talk about a man. If you are a man, and you are a man absolutely sold out to God and the kingdom values, and you marry your a so-so believer girl who is worldly, you will find it difficult to walk with her outside. And many men don't care. Don't care. But God cares. He says, my name, I put on both of you. I put my name. No. And these things matter in a marriage. That's what I said. First, we look at the bar. Then you decide how, how much you want to lower. It's up to you. Mm. But I cannot lower the bar because I didn't set it. Because a marriage... Is the picture of Christ's relationship with the church. And if man is takes the place of Christ, the woman takes care of the church. And Christ is working on the church to make a holy, spotless, modest, righteous, without unspotted from the world before he will come to take her. Mm. Then you look at your woman and ask her, is she that? Is she spotted by the world or unspotted by the world? And who made all the compromises? When the world got into the church, it's all about clothes, about makeup, about dressing, about heels and tight clothes and everything. And God says, don't you know, you reflect my son's bride. And he looks at the man and says, you reflect my son. That's the picture. 
What does the picture look in the spiritual realm? Mm-hmm. This is the issue with marriage. This is with, that's why Paul is very, very clear about it. And I'm sure that's why Paul decided to remain single. I think even in his age, he wouldn't have found a woman who could match him, mm. his spirituality, who could marry him and walk with him the way he walked with God. So we have to look at all these pictures and it's real. So the question is, there is prejudice. Yes, but that's not the point. The point is not, it's, I'm not worried about the prejudice of the world. I'm more worried about what does God think about you as a man? What does God think you about as a woman? Now let me tell you about India. Tell you to Have you noticed? I don't know what they call that, that tights, no, the yoga pan kind of a stuff. Okay, one of the funny things is that it's very interesting, you know. I come from home at 6.15 or 6.30, I come on the way and that's the time when that whole road is full of people walking, doing it. It's very interesting. You can see every culture, everything. And you can see the men and you can see the women. They look, you'll see a couple of older women wearing sari and sneakers. Then you will see a few more others wearing salwar and sneakers. Then you will see a few others with jeans and tops and sneakers. And there are two women who will be wearing that yoga teeth ones and tops. All are exercising. But you look at on a morning this thing, you can see culture. From extreme conservative to extreme liberal. Mm. You can see. Every day I see them. Every day I see. My question is, the issue is, when this gets into the church, when that yoga pants kind of tights came into the church, have you noticed even the most conservative people in the church have appropriated it? I will say it's about the body. Yes, that's why God says the body is my temple. If your body is in the, think about your body as the temple of God. Do you think God likes a temple in tights? You have to think it that way. I have to be it blunt. Okay? And you are a man. Think about it. You are a man. All tattoos. Before salvation, it is okay. I'm talking about after. The kind of funny things men do. Your body is the temple of God. Do you think God likes it that way? Ultimately, when you step out, you step out in the body. And when he first asks for surrender in the kingdom, he asks for offer your body as a living sa- Have you offered? Have you offered? So ultimately, why are you doing all these things? Because it is the pull of the world. You want to be like the world. Then how do you walk together? So that's why we tell, talk to each other before you get married. Talk. Talk. So that you actually know and be open about it. Actually know what you really believe. What you really believe. Because you know further down the line. Okay, And then you look at it. Can you? Okay, you said the world is full of prejudice. Full of prejudice. Accept the reality. Then the second question I need to ask is that. Imagine, I'm living in an incredibly prejudiced, used modern terms, systematic racism and all in the system. (laughs) Imagine, I'm a white man with a black wife and we have children. Do you know the pressure the children have to go through Hmm. in that system? That's why you have to ask all these questions. Unless God is involved in it, it's not worth it. Mm. It's not worth it. I'm not being a racist. I'm telling you the truth. The pressure is not on you. The pressure is on somebody else. The pressure is on somebody else. 
So real practical issues. Real practical issues which people face. Because mm-hmm. I faced it all. I lived in a country mm-hmm. where I was the only Indian kid. And I faced it for the first 12 years of my life. Then I came to my own country. What happened is I could not speak the language of my own state. So I faced it in my country, in my state too. Because language is part of your culture. Mm-hmm. And how you speak the language matters. If you are an Indian and you go to US and speak English in the Indian way, isn't, doesn't it affect you? Absolutely. That's why they all change their names. So go in that to Steve. Yeah, change the name. <laughs> Why do? Because there's a prejudice. <laughs> and if you look at the Jews in the US, what are their names? Goldstein, Goldberg. Why? Because they're only interested in money. <laughs> it's you cannot you cannot escape this reality. The world is full of prejudices, and nobody's going to take it away. It's the nature of the fallen man. Nature of the fallen man. You see, all, you see all the junk that is happening, BLM movement, also a lot of junk that's happening. Let me ask you this question. Where is this BLM movement taking place? New York? Portland? Seattle? These are all super white cities, you know that? Is it taking place in Ferguson? No. Is it taking place in any of the cities where the majority population is black? Because the blacks are not interested. This is taking place in white cities because of, it's like I said, white guilt and shaming and indoctrination in the universities. It is a lot of junk that is taking place over there on the streets and most of the people who are marching are whites. It's not taking place in the black cities. There's no looting taking place in the actual black cities where the blacks are in majority. It's not taking place. It's taking place in cities where the whites are in majority and black businesses are getting burned. So you are living in actual situation. So you have to look forward and ask all these questions because these are actual practical questions you need to ask. I will tell you, it is easier for my wife and me to live in India than for me and my wife to live in US in a super white neighborhood. Because there, then I am brown and she is white. Here, white, of course, white is exalted and highly regarded. So she won't face what I would face there. Because you cannot, you, you cannot handle, you look at uh, the poor things the African brothers face in any country. In India, in China, in Japan, anywhere what the poor kids face because of the color of their skin. But can you legislate it away? No, you cannot legislate it away. It will all pass away when Christ comes. So when you are talking about marriage, the first thing you need to ask is what mar- what does the kingdom of God have? What place does it have in my life? What place will it have in my marriage? From there the answers go. Can I walk? Can we both walk? Can we both work? And what will be our ministry? The fruit of our labor. What will it be? What will it be? No? What will it be? And these are all issues. Because otherwise if you look at, look at Genesis chapter 26. 26 or 25. Genesis 25 and verse 28. Genesis 25, 28. This is supposed to be an ideal marriage, right? Isaac, Rebecca. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game. Rebecca loved Jacob. You know, we are not interested in Esau. We are interested in Jacob. But Jacob has been rejected by his father. And he will always run until God meets him as the place of the father and blesses him. Jacob doesn't become right yet because he has been 
rejected by his father. And the father is the one affirmation we all need. That's why Jesus came to take us to the father. You need the affirmation of the father. So we are talking about marriage. We are talking about family. We are talking about the role of the man, the role of the father. Here is a man who would become Israel. But another father had to stand in the gap and change him all around and says, you father named him Jacob. I name you Israel. I will change it. I will affirm you. What you did not get from your father, you will get from me. I will affirm you. You will be Israel. You have to look at all these pictures. Now, these these are not idealistic views. These are real views in the Bible. These are real, real views in this Bible. That's what Paul is talking about. If you marry, good. If you don't marry, better. Because nobody is going to birth a savior anymore. Old covenant and <laughs> okay. Old covenant, this zeal for marriage was a different thing because the seed of the woman will crush the head of Satan. That was always there in everybody's mind. So to be barren was a curse. Now, okay. but should you marry? Yes, go ahead and marry. But be very careful what you marry, what you are getting into. You what you're it, yeah, what you are getting into, what you marry. <laughs> No, because people all know you don't go marry based on an advertisement on a newspaper. Born again believer wants ready bride. What kind of a born again believer is he? Okay, height has to be this, color has to be this, salary has to be this. So what? What was he born into? He was born again, again into the world. <laughs> no, so you can't go by that. You have to be very, very clear about this. So don't have this fanciful because your your greatest decision you will make in your life is a decision for Christ. The second decision that will make or break your walk with God, your destiny is your marriage. And most people have lost their destiny because of marriage. They have lost their destiny because of their marriage. Most people. Very, very rarely. It was one hand. You look at the great men in the Bible. Look at the conflict they had to meet. Even Isaac and Rebecca goofed off after the children were born. Look at Jacob and his four wives. What a mess. Look at Moses and Zipporah. What a mess. Look at Samuel. What a mess. Look at David. What a mess. Thank God about Elijah and Elisha. We don't even know where they were married. Jeremiah never got married. Ezekiel's wife was taken away. Now we are talking about we are talking about real things. John the Baptist never got married. Jesus never got married. Paul never got married. Three incredibly successful single men mm-hmm. in the Bible, in the New Covenant. All three never got married. So we have to look at this picture. So first you need to ask: Am I ready to be married? Do I know what my role is in a marriage? Do I know? Can I walk with that man? Can I walk with that woman? Am I ready to walk? Is my consecration to Christ so much that I am to handle this burden, mm. this this weight of marriage? Can I handle it? Can I walk? Second, if I am a man, I am looking for a woman who will work with me, not work against me. me. Work with me. Help mate. She has to work with me. I lead, she follow. We cannot pull in two directions. Then the children will fall in between. So we have to look at all this, then think about it. But for people, all this this doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who you marry. Marry an unbeliever, maybe he will come through. Who knows? Nobody knows. But you are short-circuited already. You will compromise with God. You will compromise with God. You marry from another race. If you are the culture you are sitting, living within it, will not 
bring in pressure into that and then fine, go ahead. But you're living in a culture which will bring and put enormous pressure on you. Ask yourself, can I handle it? Can I handle it? Mm. Can I handle it? Because I know interracial marriages, I've counseled them too. When the fight started, they started abusing each other by their race. Mm-hmm. And they were Christians in ministry. Ministry? Sit and talk to them. That's not how you talk. The race comes out. We have to look at all these pictures. We have to look at all these pictures. Language becomes a barrier. Okay. Now I and my wife speak in English. But supposing I was not good in English. It's not good in English. Okay. You are, let us say, a person who speaks Chinese marrying a person who speaks only English. How do you communicate? How do you communicate? Because ultimate purpose, first purpose of marriage is fellowship. How are you going to fellowship when you have only few words to communicate? And I know marriages like that. The marriages are like just managing and moving on. And there is this incredible silence between both the partners because there is no language to communicate. And when they communicate, they communicate wrong because they cannot understand each other. These are real issues I have seen over this year. So all these things are part of your culture, your language, how you grew up, your food, all these things, your clothes, all these are part of it. But how do you override all of it? Is when you know the call of God upon your life is so strong and this is the person God has told you to marry. And then you walk along and you keep the big picture always for the kingdom's sake. Like David said, is there not a cause? Mm. He's being abused, but he walks away. Okay, so when you have abuse in a marriage, but you know the cause is bigger than that. Mm. It's, it's okay, it doesn't matter. Because there is something. I'm not going to let these things impede. Because I know this marriage was from God. and These issues will be there. But there is this big picture. Thy name, thy kingdom, thy will. That's how it works out. Otherwise, you'll just leave a wreck behind. You will wreck. Leave a mess. So marriage has to be taken, like we say in our wedding ceremonies, discreetly, prayerfully. Consider all these things. Don't jump, like we say in English, marry in haste, repent in leisure. Shouldn't be that. It'll be terrible. And God has put such a premium on marriage. We'll wonder why. It's because of what it, the mystery of marriage. It's between Christ and His church. I think we'll stop there, Pastor. Yes, because it's done. Oh, it's 8.30. That's what I said. We could only handle three questions. One on Christ and the Old Testament. One on depression. And one on marriage. Depression and marriage goes together if Mm -hmm. you get married to the wrong person. Yes. They'll be depressed. A lot of people are depressed in their marriages. Absolutely depressed in their marriages. And they look for other things to keep their time. Either they are workaholics. Or they are hooked on to entertainment and all these things. Because you know what? Marriage is depressive. Mm. They are not able to talk. They have reached two strong positions. Now waiting to say who will bend. But nobody will bend. That's why in the old ages, they married when they were young. Especially the girl. Because when you are young, you are like clay. You are mel- you are, you are shapeable. You are. It's easy to mold. 
But when you get older and older and you have earned your own money and worked and experienced your independence, boy, you are set. And both people are set. Man is set, the woman is set. Game set, over. Very difficult. Very, very difficult. So if a man and a woman is set, be set like a flint towards Jerusalem and get married. Amen. Amen. That's how it should be. It should be set with God. Not in your own opinions and your own ideas. These things matter. These things matter. Your conservative and a liberal cannot walk together. Impossible. <laughs> because God is conservative. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not liberal. Mm-hmm. It's very conservative. Mm-hmm. Shall we pray, Mr. Vijay? Yeah. Father, we just come to you, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Oh, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. These are very, very serious issues, Lord. And your word itself says through Apostle Paul, because we are at the end of time, mm-hmm. And the days are evil. He says, I wish you were like me. Mm. He says, you did not get married. But God has not stopped anybody from getting married. But be married in Christ. For a three-fold cord cord cannot be broken. Three are entwined together. Man, the woman and Christ. Then... It's a strong marriage. Cannot be broken. Otherwise, everything will break. The answer to depression is Christ. It's Christ. Our eyes are on Christ. Our minds are on things above. And everything that happens in life, we see it has momentary afflictions. We give thanks because we have read the end of the story. And in the end of the story, We are more than overcomers and we will live happily ever after. Looking at that, we give thanks even now when we experience nothing. That's how we beat depression. That's why, Lord, the answer to everything in life is your son. You're not giving a suggestion. You're giving us your son. It is only the life of your son that will give us victory, nothing else. Nothing else, Lord. What we eat, what we drink, none of these things matter in the kingdom. The only thing that matters is your righteousness. Only thing. That's the thing we need to put first. Thy kingdom and thy righteousness. And for that sake, we pursue peace. If we make adjustments in life and compromises in life, we are not compromising with the world. We are compromising for the sake of the king, of things which are irrelevant to the kingdom. And we move on. And I pray all the young ones who have heard today, a lot of young girls and young men around the world listening, young ones listening, I pray, Lord, they'll put, they won't lower that bar which you placed is there. And they will look for that in their life and say, Lord, I will wait like Isaac. Mm. Bring me the spouse you have prepared for me. Otherwise, it's well with my soul. Mm. I'll walk with God. I'm anyway yoked with God. He lives in me. I live in Him. I walk and I move and I breathe in Him. I can live with or without a spouse. So I leave it to you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. 
And all those who are struggling in their marriages, I pray, Lord, they will lift up Christ. There is no other solution. Mm. It's only one solution. They will lift up Christ. They will lift up your word and come into agreement as to what Christ says about their situation and humble and submit to one another in the word and walk together. I speak peace. I speak healing in bodies and in souls, healing in relationships. And I pray, Father, even tonight, your presence will be there with us here, daytime in U.S. Go with us, Lord. Go before us. Be with our young Yohan, Lord. He's on the way to college. Reach him safely. He's beginning his first day today in your plan for him. Be with him, Lord. Be with him. Help him to overcome. Be that man after God's own heart. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. We praise you. We worship you. We glorify you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.